0: Would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 67? The great and final theme of scripture is the glory of God. God has created everything and we see this in many places in the scriptures. God has really created everything for his glory. It's pretty impressive when you think about the world of the, 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 the microcosm of a world and the little things that we can't see with the naked eye. And then, of course, the macro, the universe, things that we still don't know I get hooked on some of these YouTube things and we were watching Pat was begrudgingly watching it with me I think I don't know but uh, one of those the last one whatever it was I think it was called the messenger a satellite that was it took 9 years to get to Pluto and they showed the best we ever thought Pluto looked like. Then it showed what this thing did in a flyby in 2015, I think. It's a beautiful planet. You don't think about it. You think, well, it's just a chunk of ice out there somewhere. It's very colorful, very nice. Might vacation there someday, I don't know. Uh, And it has, I think, nine moons. Uh, I think one or two of the moons about the size of my yard, but it's still a moon. And they have odd shapes, these moons do. They're not round, they're just a chunk of rock, it looked like. But there are moons. And the colors of of Pluto just were amazing. I think of the things that can be seen with the Hubble telescope and others, and, and we don't really know, we just know what we can see from here. And we probably haven't gone very far at all. In the vast expanse of space. And yet all of this is to the glory of God. God, to greatly summarize, in his power, created those things that exist as we understand them in time and space and declared within himself that he would be glorified in his creation. And so, here are rational beings, angels, and then man, who is created a little lower than the angels, who can offer praise and worship to God. In the case of man, a further worship and praise for redemption, for salvation that he, that he created us, that he chose us, called, on, called us to himself, provided salvation, sent his only son. All of these things come together for the worship of God. The sad thing is, and we'll understand this someday, I'm sure, maybe, so many Throughout existence, the existence of humankind, of human history, pay no attention to God. They don't worship him. They don't acknowledge him. So many don't even know him. They don't seek to know him. The fact that something is special when you look at stars and you look at the seasons of the year and flowers and the the symmetry of things like uh, 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 trees and flowers and and constellations how could someone not be drawn to a a worship of the creator it's 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 difficult to understand and yet the scripture teaches us that the great purpose of all of creation Is for God to receive glory and praise for what He has done. And He shares this creation with His own and continues to do so into the ages. What is beyond the Revelation 21 and 22? We have no idea. We're told in the Old Testament, and Paul quotes it again in the New Testament that the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard and it has not entered into the heart of a man the things that God has prepared for those who love him so you think of your highest and most pleasurable and and, and happiest moments in this existence if you're in Christ it cannot compare and there's no way you can imagine the happiness and blessing and joy of our existence in the ages to come. And so God gives to us his word, he deposits it in his people who he calls his own and they have a responsibility. In the Old Testament, it's Israel. They were not the end of God's salvation. They were a means to the end of salvation for all nations, it's very clear in the Old Testament. But they failed. We're seeing in our study in John the results of a nation that is filled with arrogance and selfishness, works and pride, and they become focused on themselves, and they do not focus on what their purpose was namely, To reveal God to the world. They didn't do that. They matter of fact they get to the point where they hate the other nations and only think of themselves. And there's utter failure. But it is to the joy of the Gentiles because then is and we saw that today, the the Greeks that came and said, Sir, we would know we would see Christ or Jesus. And then the church which is not a nation, Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Gentile or Greek. There's, there's no ethnic identification in the church, in Christ. We're in Christ. And so the Great Commission is given, and the church, although comprised of broken and fallen human beings who have been redeemed and filled with the spirit still go forth into the world and preach the gospel and disciples are made. And this has been, of course, God's purpose that all nations would worship him and glorify him. If we move, if we think of what we studied this morning in John 12, where the Greeks, where we saw how the religious leadership of Israel had rejected Christ and they said he, he, he gains nothing for us. He's not, he's not anything. Immediately right after that, the Greeks come and and they say to Philip, sir, we would see Jesus. And then Jesus obviously brings them in and he explains how he's being glorified. Explains that to his disciples such that when you get over to the Revelation 6 and 7, long in there, there are people, although they're dying for their testimony, yet still those who have been redeemed are seen as coming into the presence of Christ in an intermediate state before the resurrection. And yet the Bible says they've come from every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation. They've come from every part of and parcel of the world. And they they glorify the Lord. There's, there's great happiness and joy. Uh, there's, there's even anxiety. Some of them say, how long, you know, before we're avenged of the blood that we've had to shed. And at the end of it, of course, is the resurrection, the completion of the first resurrection and all of the redeemed, uh, the elect of God redeemed and in the presence of Christ and finally in the culmination of the first heaven and first earth carried with him and by him through the destruction and past the great white throne and the utter destruction of the first order of things into the new heaven and the new earth. We have just a brief glimpse of the new heaven and the new earth apparently earth is very large because john saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down out of heaven and he said the measure of it is the measure of a man just like we would use a measure a yardstick here is a yardstick there and he describes a city whose walls are about 1,300 miles high and the length running this way, 13, about 1,300 miles and about thirteen. it's a city that's four square. At the pinnacle of it is the throne of the Lamb, from whence comes the river of life. And the description is wonderful that's given. It's just a brief, it's all that we can, it's all that we can contain What's given to us in that uh, description? The only, the only action, actionable thing that we are told is with regard to the leaves of the trees of life. The leaves are for the, the King James calls it the healing of the nations. That's not really the best word. Therapia is the Greek word therapy. It's for, the, it's for the overall essential well-being of the nations. I have no idea what a leaf could do from the tree of life for a nation. How much more could the fruit, and there are 12 manners of fruit, one for each month how much more could a fruit do if a leaf is that good so i don't know what all of that means but it does mean that there is there is action and that there are challenges And we are released in a glorified body to the fullness of the essence of our existence. Was it Einstein used something like 10 to 12% of his brain? The average human uses about 8% of his brain? Well, suppose the whole brain is just unleashed. What, What could be accomplished? Well, all of these things we think about, but the bottom line, or I do, The bottom line is that at the center of all of it is the worship and praise of the creator. Continually, without without ceasing, continually marveling at his works, his grace, his salvation. And I believe constantly finding a new new song. You know, they'll sing a new song. Well, the indefinite article means that there will be more than one. It's going to drive the saints of God crazy when every million years the style of worship changes. It's just going to drive people mad. No, it's not going to do that. It will swell into a greater song than we've ever known. And And that's ad infinitum. It will continue to do that into the ages of the ages of the ages because even eternity that we might call it it's clear in the scripture that there are ages that continue one into the other we're just living in an age but it would pale in comparison i think to the ages that will develop us throughout eternity. It's it's a wonderful thought. Now, it seems to me that with every new wonderful discovery of the attributes of God, and they are endless, God is God and he is endless. And he chooses, I would expect, this is a gospel according to Charles, you can take it or leave it, but I would expect as we swell into the millions of years, greater, newer, higher, more wonderful things are revealed. And we have to build on those before then we can receive and build on the next thing. And it just keeps going and we get a greater knowledge of God with all of that. And we worship him and praise him in a way that we could not have known earlier in our existence. And all of this is to his glory and his praise. And it's, it's just baffling how, why people in the world today don't engage in the worship and the praise of the creator. To worship him in his word to worship him in appreciation for his creation and to exalt him by, by declaring from the Psalms or whatever how great God is because of, of what he's done and then to sing songs and to sing newer songs and to sing other songs. There are, it's an octave so that's eight notes, right? And in those notes, you can, you can have a, a chord of three or four or five, whatever notes. There are different chords. I took guitar for four years and they are sustained and diminished and augmented and augmented seventh and minor diminished and they're just, it's just endless. The chords that you can get just out of eight notes Shakespeare wrote all of his wonderful works using only, what, 26 letters of the alphabet. We have our Bible translation that enriches life in a way that we could not have imagined when we first started a journey through Scripture. And our translation is given to us through only. The 26 letters of the English alphabet from in the New Testament, for example. 22 letters of the New Testament. Same in the Old Testament, except they have vowel points. Limited, they're always there, but you can put them together in different ways. You have suffixes and prefixes. and The story not only is unending, the story just continues to grow and grow. And every time you read it, You have a higher and deeper and more wonderful appreciation of your knowledge of God and all that he's done. Now this, if we can do that much in our pitiful lives in this present state, how much more throughout eternity can it be for us? So I come back to the initial statement that God will receive glory and praise for what he's done. Here is a psalm. It's only, well, the Hebrew version is eight verses, and I think your version is seven verses, but it's all the same. Um, here is a call to worship in Psalm 67. So let's just take these little verses and think about what it means. Number one, a call for blessing. For the conductor on stringed instruments, a psalm, a psalm. Now this may or may not be David, it doesn't say. But we've been studying how David has appointed musicians, you remember, uh, in 24 courses of the Levitical priesthood, the special priesthood of music. And they wrote some of these psalms. Elohim. Elohim will be gracious to us and bless us. Let's build this. First of all, God initiates the whole thing and extends grace. Chana, the, the, the Hebrew word, the root of this word over here, chana, is the word that means unconditional covenant love. So that God has engaged with the worshiper, initiating the engagement because as john says in the first epistle we didn't love him first he loved us first god with with his own having brought them to himself will be gracious to us so it starts there it starts with the grace of god who has called us to himself chanan the very word means the unconditional a covenant love of God. It is a love that God extends to his own. It's not a love that is extended to everybody. It is a love that is specifically for his own. It's the covenant love of God. And this this grace that comes to us leads to the next thing, which is our blessing. Elohim will be gracious to us And he will bless us. So now because of his grace, he extends these blessings. If we just think logically about the people of God through time. The enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of woman has never stopped. It will someday, but it hasn't now. Cain and Abel, one brother, murders the other. The horrible story of the pre-flood world, though slight as it seems to us, yet we can extract certain phrases and words And we can know that they drifted, that those who were not God's own drifted far away from him. Such that the imaginations of man were only to do evil continually. And it culminates in the flood. That one family that found grace, Noah found grace, Noah Found God's God extended his grace and of course he came to Noah in the eyes of Yahweh and his family. There were no Canites who, who escaped the pre-flood world. So you have only the Sethites, the, the Noahites if you will. And they have this start of a, of a pure family to worship before Yahweh. But it isn't long until Ham shows a dirty mind and then becomes rebellious and his descendants were declared by prophecy would always be rebellious in a sense. And You have this division of those three brothers that go into the world. There's conflict and there's war. There's hatred and jealousy. Yet God has chosen his own and the, the, the beautiful cord of God's people is never broken, even in the worst era eras of human history. Never broken because of the power of God to save and to keep and to deliver. We have the account of some of their lives in the Old Testament such that finally the time comes and God separates a nation from the rest of the nations. And we saw in the book of Leviticus where he told his people, here's what the rest of the world does, but you're not going to do that because you're different. Here's what you're going to do that the rest of the world doesn't do because you're different. You're mine. This, you know, you can think, well, how much better is this to do this or not to do this than what they're doing or not doing? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's what God said. These things will distinguish you from the rest of the world. In the book of Leviticus. Beginning in chapter 17, 18 and moving on for three or four chapters. The world of the Canaanites is described. A world of sexual perversion. And horrible Abominations. And God tells them by law in Leviticus, you're not to do these things because this is what the Canaanites do. And so by their lifestyle and by the way they live, they're supposed to be separate. They're supposed to worship Yahweh in a special way and attend to sacrifices and rituals and so forth. And they are to be separate. Now, we know they finally fail. Even, and it, it, it makes it, it uh, I tremble to say it, but even the church fails. Except for a remnant who are taken out of the time of trouble, the Philadelphian church. So, God has always had his people, even in the time of the tribulation, and they continue to come out of all of the nations and tribes and tongues they they continue to be separated by the power of God although the seven year period distinctly belongs to Israel and yet now Israel is used by the 144,000 and by the two witnesses they are used to proclaim this wonderful message until it becomes impossible and then an angel preaches the message in mid heaven until the whole thing finally Comes to an end now when we think of that he is gracious to us then he blesses us I'm blessed I've studied my my forebears are are Welsh Celtic Welsh people. You go back 800 years, <laughs> they're, they're lost as a ball in high weeds. They're witches and, and just awful people. Something happened somewhere. When the first of my ancestors came over and landed in South Carolina in the 1600s, his name was Thomas Owen. He was descended from a family that were known as the, the Owain, Owain family. Wayne being the root and of Wayne being Wayne. Others, Ewing and McEwen, all those people are are my folks. Some of them saved, some of them lost. I don't know. I don't keep up with them. I'm just having a hard enough time keeping up with myself. But somewhere, the grace of God followed my, came to, somewhere in the life of my forebear who came to this Nation, and then his people were seen as, as as Christian people. And when you study, I can go back a couple of generations, and I can know how very how very Christian those people were. That's a blessing. Grace came in there somewhere, and the blessing came to me. That's a wonderful blessing. So I am one of the eternal covenant and God's unconditional covenant love has come to me, has been extended to me and I'm blessed. What's the next thing? He will cause his countenance to shine with us, Silla. That means that he looks with us favorably. Your kids are little, you just love to watch them, watch after them. Your face stays on them, your countenance stays with them. Same way with grandchildren. It doesn't matter whatever they do. Is something that's going to work out to be pleasant, even if they poop in their pants. It gives somebody an opportunity to clean them up and make them smell better. There is a blessing in all of that. And it's like you're shining your face on your children, your grandchildren. So God does with us. We're in His covenant love. He blesses us, and it's not very difficult to count your blessings in the Lord. And then he, he puts his face toward us. He, he looks at us with happiness and, and joy. Sillah, Silla, pause. Think about that. That your way should be known on earth. Your salvation among all nations. This is where finally Israel failed. And the church took it up. But the time of the church will come to an end. And if you read what Paul writes in both letters to Timothy, a couple of places in his letters to the Thessalonians. And if you think of, as I do, the seven churches as being stages of of the ages of the church, then you see... The church of Philadelphia, which is the missionary church that collapses then into the Laodicean church, which is the church that Christ rejects. He vomits it out of his mouth. Final failure. Finally, finally, the world in this present state keeps doing its thing. But still there's the declaration that the way of God will be known on the earth. Your salvation among all nations. Somebody told me about Christ. Somebody who was told by somebody about Christ. Who was told by somebody and so forth. All the way. You know there is a belief among some that when we ordain our men as deacons or elders, pastors, and we lay hands on them, that there is a, according to some, there is an unbroken chain of the laying on of hands that goes all the way back to the days of the apostles. Now, that may or, or may not be true, but I can tell you this much the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to us unbroken and undiminished, even in a world. Of, of technology and, and so-called scientific advancement, still they cannot fight the work of the Holy Spirit. So his way is known on the earth. God is accomplishing reaching his own through the ages as he purposed to do your salvation among all nations. And it is. It's in every nation Then comes the imperative for worship. Peoples will thank you. Now this is a a reference to all ethnic groups. This is not just a particular group. Peoples will thank you, Elohim. Peoples will thank you. All of them will thank you. So it it moves from somewhat specific to general. All of the peoples of the world will thank Elohim. Now, this, and kingdoms will rejoice and sing praises, for you will judge peoples fairly, and the kingdoms, you will lead them on earth. Selah, this is taking us to the millennial kingdom. And it goes just in the way that God had purposed for it to go. So that finally, the King of Kings puts down his enemy, his enemies, and the kingdom of righteousness is established on earth and he judges people fairly and God's people in, from all kingdoms and races will rejoice and sing praises just like God had purposed for it to happen. You will lead them on earth. So there's an imperative to worship. And then finally there are consequences of worship. Peoples will thank you Elohim Peoples will thank you. Yes, all of them. That's what was said up in a couple of verses earlier. The earth gave forth its produce. Elohim, our Elohim, will bless us. Elohim will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will reverence him, honor him, reverential all. Will fear him. Now that's an unstoppable thing. Finally as God had always purposed, all of the peoples, all of the nations from all of time across the globe will at last come in the singular purpose of worship before our creator, a call to worship. Well, let's pray. We'll be through. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for so graciously giving us our part in your plan and purpose. We're humbled and we are stricken with with the necessity that has to come out from within us to tell others of our salvation, our God and his greatness. Something that, although it begins now, will just continue to grow forever. We have great anticipation for this, Lord. Thank you for your word and for your plan and for your purpose, for your grace, for your blessing. And for the countenance that you've looked upon us with. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.